0: This is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. So uh, last night, it, it did not go great. I guess you could say that did not go great for the Democrats. And, uh, you know, we, when, when, uh, when you've been doing this as long as I have, you kind of, <laughs> you, 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 you get used to how you, uh, you know, discuss these kind of, these kind of election nights. And uh, this one wasn't great. That's, there's no question about that. I mean, let's just review the basics. Uh, Terry McAuliffe was defeated by Glenn Youngkin in uh, Virginia. Seems like the actual margin is going to be pretty close, probably under two point margin, which is, for what it's worth, pretty close to exactly where the final polls had it, one or two point race. Um, So substantial swing from uh, the Northam victory in 2017, and also substantial swing from Joe Biden's victory uh, in 2020 in the state, which were of comparable margins around 10 points, something like that. So you have like a 12 point swing. And then uh, we still don't have a result in New Jersey, but it seems like uh, Governor Murphy will probably uh, uh, pull it out by a very, very, very thin margin. Now, that race was, I think, in the, in the, in the final polls, you know, a 10 point margin for the Democrat. So it seems like, you know, win is a win, but we can see you know a similar tide a similar kind of story for the for the um for the evening and then you have uh, down ballot races which show basically a a similar picture although you know not in every case uh republicans did really well in uh, long island in, in in new york state uh the uh, uh democratic socialist uh democrat Democratic nominee for the mayoralty in Buffalo lost. That's India Walton. She lost to the incumbent mayor, who ran a write-in, uh, uh, a write-in campaign. Now, that to me is part of a very different narrative. That's basically an intra-democratic uh, thing. But you know, when you, I, I did a did a post on this this morning. I did one on on McAuliffe's defeat uh, last night it's really hard to run a write-in campaign. You know, we we say all of these things, you know, so much of the uh, voting rights, voter suppression discussion is the various ways that you can kind of make it harder on the margins for people to vote, right? Um, it's really hard to vote. If, the, if your candidate's name is not even on the ballot, and you have to remember like, oh, okay, the option I want isn't even an option, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take out my pen and write in the person's name. That is really, really hard to do. And yet it seems like the incumbent mayor, Byron Brown, uh, is probably winning by like 60-40. And uh, this is one of those campaigns that there's a lot of uh, sort of sour, intra-democratic mojo But um, if you lose by that margin to a write-in candidate, the voters just didn't want you to win. There's no, you know, I see stuff about, uh, you know, the establishment, you know, kind of ganged up against her and stuff. Well. I think the voters really uh, ganged up against her. So that's another thing that happened. Uh, We have a new mayor in uh, Boston. We have a a new mayor in New York City. Um, Those were both pretty much expected. But again, those are the things um, that's urban America, which is basically democratic stomping grounds. And uh, the big take, my big take, at least from, from last night is, and I, I wrote this in a, in, a, in a post late yesterday evening, we shouldn't be surprised. You know, the question is, how, you know, how did this happen? We think of uh, Virginia as a fairly blue state, Democrat lost, you know, Democrats had a, had a, you know, they won the presidency in 2020. They didn't do, they didn't do fantastic down ballot or uh, in congressional races, they actually lost ground in the House. In any case, to me, this one is pretty simple. The president's not popular. The president's popularity has fallen dramatically over the last four or five months. Now, when... And, and so, you, so you have that. You also have the fact that right now, if you are not tightly bound to one of the two political parties, I think what you see is that the president keeps saying it is important to pass a couple bills that make up his presidential agenda, and he's unable to get it done. And two senators who most Americans had never even heard of before have the president kind of running around in circles. And we keep having votes that don't happen and more negotiations and setbacks and blah, 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 blah. What you really see is the president looks weak. If you say something is important, then you should do it. And if you can't, you seem ineffectual. You seem weak. And I don't say any of this as someone who's not a fan of Joe Biden. I you know, I'm not down on Joe Biden, but this is just the reality. He's not popular and he looks weak. And then you add two other things into the equation, again things we've discussed, which is that the national mood about the economy is not good. People do not think the economy is good. Now, there's a lot of statistics you can point to to say, well, you know, there's a lot of job growth and there's growth and blah, 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 blah. But that is not the popular perception. And uh, some of that, I think a lot of that is there's various uh, consumer commodity goods that are expensive now. You try to order things, they're, they're backed up. You know, the stuff we've talked about, supply chain, you know, inflation, price of gas is high, stuff like this. And then the big one is we thought COVID was going to be done. President Biden ran on saying he would bring the pandemic to an end, and the pandemic is not over. And what's worse is that we had several months where we really thought we were putting it behind us, and then we weren't. And now we're in this period where you know the the numbers are um, you know we're doing better than we were a few months ago. We're certainly doing better than we were last winter, but we're still in the pandemic. You know, we're still wearing masks. We're still uh, you know still trying to get people to. uh, To get inoculated, still a fair amount of, you know, large numbers of people dying. Some places you can eat indoors, other places you can't. We're still in the pandemic. And so what I think we see is that people thought we were going to be in a much better situation now than we are. And when you add to that the fact that the president looks weak because he can't seem to get his bills passed. And there's talking and talking and talking and talking and talking. People put those two things together. We're not done with COVID and the economy sucks because the president president's hapless. President's weak. He's not a strong leader. You put those things all together and Democrats lose elections. That is that is one of the most basic things about politics. And uh, what I think you see in Virginia, saw in Virginia last night, probably saw in in in, in New Jersey, is that this spectacle for the last several months on Capitol Hill, talking, 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 about to have a vote. It doesn't happen. We think that we're going to have an agreement. The agreement doesn't happen. Now, you know, yeah, it's the sausage making and all that kind of stuff. But there's no question that has demoralized partisan Democrats. If you think this stuff is important and you're, you're like, what the fuck? Did we elect Joe Manchin president? Did we elect Kirsten Cinema president? What's going on here? <laughs> so you demoralize um, you demoralize your own supporters, and then for people who aren't supporters, they just see like, in, for a lot of the electorate, and this is always something that's really important for those of us who kind of live and breathe politics to remember. What they are keyed in on is less the specific stuff the president is trying to do then whether he can do it because if you are part of a company or part of an organization or part of anything, you want someone in charge who can get things done. Obviously, it matters what they get done, but that's a big thing and none of those things are looking good right now. So uh, Again, you have a situation like that, members of the president's party are going to lose elections. That is not a surprise and uh if we didn't know that we got a a pretty good example of that last night one thing i will say that i think is an important um an important benchmark setting for understanding this it's not like democrats always lose uh, always win elections in virginia it's not a blue state it's a swing state with a strong democratic advantage if you go back 20 years back to uh i guess 1999 every time the winner of the governorship is of the opposite party to the incumbent president with one exception and ironically that one exception was in 2013 when terry mcauliffe won after barack obama won re-election but these off-year elections again this is this is this is also a bit of a pattern incumbent president's party's feeling, you know, feeling they got it all done. They're not as hungry. The opposition's really hungry. So that's a pattern too. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't, um, we shouldn't forget that. And uh, that's also kind of a pattern in New Jersey, actually, Um, not quite the same pattern. But if uh, Murphy wins, I believe he will be the first Democrat first democratic governor to win reelection in new jersey in something like 40 years so there are other patterns here that are you know that point to this kind of being what happens when uh you know when one party's in power and this is the sort of the first bite at the apple that the that the opposition gets so we've got a lot of stuff to talk about and uh and we'll we'll talk about one thing we'll talk about is okay you know, we just talked about how the consequences of the sort of the dithering on Capitol Hill for the last four or five months. We have more dithering to look forward to, and if uh, if past is prologue, you're going to have a lot of those kind of moderate types saying, "Oh, the people have spoken. Maybe we shouldn't do this reconciliation thing now." <laughs> you know, uh, I, I I I will I will remind you um, on that very unpleasant night uh god i guess i guess a dozen years ago when uh scott brown scott brown i think is his name the guy who uh won the special election for teddy kennedy's uh senate seat uh and took away the democratic supermajority that they were using to pass obamacare and uh like, you know, it was, that was like in, I think in December, I don't, I don't even remember exactly, but it was roughly the same time in the political cycle. Right. And it seemed at first like, um, like, okay, there goes Obamacare. Right. Because it was, it was, it was in a similar stage to where this reconciliation mumbo jumbo is now, you know, kind of back and forth between Senate and House and bob you know, kind of seemingly right near the finish line. And that night, Barney Frank, not Joe Manchin, not a Joe Manchin type, right? Barney Frank, I think at the time, the, uh, was, he, was, he, was he then the, the dean of the Massachusetts delegation? I can't remember exactly. You know, one of the big liberals in Congress. He puts out a statement and says, well, I guess Obamacare is done. The people have spoken and uh, it would be wrong to pass it now. And I remember thinking, like, dude, are, are are you on crack? Like, what is going on? Like, are you kidding? Like, like <laughs> this one election, and 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 suddenly you're like, oh, okay, I guess, I guess uh, we just have to. The people have spoken, and I mean, you know, yes, the people have spoken for one seat, but like, you're gonna give up. People, people get very wobbly very quick. So we're gonna talk about that, and uh, before we do. Let me remind you that the Josh Marshall Podcast brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You got hooked on $6 iced oat lattes and $5 nitro cold brews. It happens to the best of us. But a few months and a few hundred bucks later, you're ready to become your own barista. Making cold brew at home isn't rocket science, but it is messy. Not to mention the need for grinders, strainers, Unitesker brewing containers. If you want to make cold brew at home, the easy way, order a Grady's Cold Brew Kit. It's a simple and space-efficient way to make a week's worth of coffee without the mess. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off at Grady's Cold Brew Coldbrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady's Coldbrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay. Uh co-host Kate Riga. What what is what is what is going on? I've gotten everybody pumped with my monologue. So so what do you have to share with us?
1: Well, so the the thing that I've been interested in is that pundits have basically been telegraphing how they were gonna treat this race for weeks, if not months. This was gonna be If McAuliffe lost the big bellwether, Democrats are doomed 2022, 2024, probably forever. You know, this is it. It's over. If he wins, we're never going to hear about it again. I mean, in that way, it's like the Gavin Newsom reelection all over again. It was how many pieces did we read about kind of because of one outlier poll? Newsom's going to lose in freaking California, Democrats, like get ready and then Diane Feinstein's is going to die and then you're going to lose your Senate majority and that's what you have waiting for you. Then, of course, he won handily and we didn't hear about it again. It's just so funny how those two things are treated. You know, I mean, it is a black day for Democrats right now, like wall to wall, gnashing of teeth, rending of garments Um And as you say, um, McCall, I wouldn't say I don't think anyone saying that last night was good for Democrats. But, you know, like you say, there was a a piece on uh, MSNBC today about listing that in the first year of the presidencies of George H.W. Bush, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama and Donald Trump, their parties lost the governor's mansions in both Virginia and New Jersey. So, you know. Just putting that out there to maybe stem the tide of this is the most cataclysmic electoral result we've ever seen ever in the history of any party, because it's not that. Again, bad for Democrats, for sure. <laughs> but I'm saying there is like a lot of historical precedents because that would kind of point to what we saw last night. And as you said in your monologue, Josh, things aren't going great. You know, the pandemic is Omnipresent and Congress is just meshed in this agonizing gridlock. But the thing that I keep coming up against is just getting away from maybe what the McAuliffe campaign should or should not have done, which we can talk about. We can talk about Glenn Youngkin's kind of dressing up of this white grievance. But I just I don't know what Biden slash every congressional Democrat who's not Manchin or Cinema. Could have done to change this, you know. Like there, there's this kind of debate on Twitter right now, where you've got people like Tim Kaine saying, "I was saying for months we should have passed these two earlier. It would have helped McAuliffe." And then people saying, "Well, a lot of the stuff in this bill wouldn't have even kicked in until X, Y, Z. Would that really have helped? Is McAuliffe that connected to Congress?" I kind of land in the middle of that, where I think you need an appearance of forward momentum and competency, and that helps Democrats writ large, which hasn't been happening. But the reason it hasn't been happening is because Manchin refused to at all even debate reconciliation until October 1st, per that weird memo he signed with Schumer. And then ever since he has been debating he pretty much ends every miffed press conference he gives with "We need to slow down and look at what's in this," and says ridiculous things about "We need to measure the inflationary impact," which, as Representative Yarmuth said yesterday, is just stupid. You can't do that. We never do that. There's no means of doing that, you know. Or he, or he's quibbling about other things like work requirements for paid leave. How can you leave a job that you don't have? It makes no sense. But Anyway, the reason why things have been going so agonizingly slow boils down to one or two people, and I. There's no obvious answer for me in how you changed that situation or how they could have changed that situation before last night.
0: Yeah, and 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 I. That is right. I mean, one thing you said. I mean, th- this is the thing. A lot of and uh, this th- in some ways, this is something that is particular to policy oriented democrats this idea like well if you would have passed these bills in the spring they still wouldn't have kicked in well the, the people who say that are really dumb i mean god bless them and i'm sure they're very smart about the things they're smart about but <laughs> democrats are uniquely liable to policy literalism most people are not i mean you know one, one of the things we've seen is that uh only like half of the people who actually got like checks, even know they got them
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> or who passed them or, a bu- you know, <laughs> people are not like policy analysts, but people do. What does come through is, is, is the president winning or not winning? Is he getting stuff done? Uh, and that is, that is something that comes through. And again, for a significant part of the electorate, they are less focused on the specifics of um the, the the president or the uh you know the the party in power's agenda as whether they're able to execute on it. This is obvious. This is the real world. And um so look, it, it's not like it's not like let's let's create an alternative reality where uh both of these bills passed in April. Right? Um does that mean that the president would be at 57% popularity and the Democrats would have swept this? No, I don't I don't think it means that. Um you still have the you still have where covid is. You still have the economy in this in this very weird place, you know, you look at certain statistics and it's doing fairly well. But, you know, do people, if gas prices are high or the price you pay for, for basic foodstuffs is high, everybody sees that. You, you know, unless you are super, super rich and you, you, don't, you don't buy your own food or kind of you're indifferent to the prices, you see that. That's, that's not good. Um, and there's just it's a very dislocated economy right now um, and people have lost jobs maybe they're gaining jobs you know there was an interesting um, there was an interesting uh, statistic out uh, I think i can't remember which there's several uh, sort of benchmark studies that come out once a month that look at popular uh you know what people think about the economy and uh some of these are government statistics uh, or you know kind of quasi-government statistics others are private but they're kind of seen as benchmarks and uh one of these showed that some, you know something like 70 percent of people said hey great time to be looking for work right lots of jobs available and roughly a roughly similar number of people said economy's in bad shape well that doesn't seem to line up, right? I mean, if, if it's a great time to be, to be looking for a job, that sounds like the economy's doing well. But it, it's a very dislocated period, and conventional numbers, I think, mean even less than, than, they, um, than they normally do. But you put these thing, two things together, and it's not a good thing. Look, another thing, another, another reason it's important to do these things early is that they're done, if you know that is what you know i'll tell you um when and, and and i've written about this on the site at some length that i think the public reaction the press reaction to the withdrawal from afghanistan was really off uh just just uh was far more negative than it should have been but it did start pulling down the president's numbers. And when I saw that, I think I wrote a post about this. You better get that bill passed soon. Unpopular presidents do not get things passed. So there are, um, you know, and you you add to this, is that this all looks really, really similar to what happened in 2009 and 2010. You know, really similar, really similar. Down to, you know, you had the healthcare town halls. Now it's, uh, you know... Farrell Trumper showing up at 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 a uh, you know school board meetings it's really really similar um and uh again people who people who are really policy focused tend to be fairly dumb about politics this is just a reality you can you can quote me on that uh so let, let's let's <laughs> let's shift gears Kate to what do we, what have we seen so far this morning up on the hill as as you know in reaction to what happened last night?
1: Most people are basically trying to take what happened and said this is, say this is further proof that we need to pass these things now. We need to pass them as quickly as possible. We need to notch this win. We need people to start finding out what's in the bills because that's a huge problem. Um, and I think there's broad recognition that so much about these elections last night. We're out of Democrats' control. I mean, to to a certain extent, there's not that much they can do about the pandemic. I mean, obviously there is and they are, you know, they're doing it. They're getting vaccines approved for children and booster shots and all that. But the reality that there is a sizable swath of the country that will not get vaccinated and is predicating their um, political identity on that fact—that's not going to go away, and there's not much Democrats can do about that. Um, the resulting economic turmoil—I mean, that kind of goes hand in hand with the pandemic to some extent. The, I think the, the sadness and the anger and the trauma we as a country have experienced from this once-in-a-generation pandemic something everyone's trying to deal with but i think there's recognition that they've got all three chambers for what feels like you know an even more tenuous amount of time right now and they've got to pass the bills but again it just it goes back to this point that you're right people didn't elect joe manchin president but every single senator has veto power and he's the only one who's yielding it ruthlessly and constantly So it doesn't really matter when, you know, I hear from, you know, Dick Durbin and and Tim Kaine and all these people like, well, this should really light a fire under our ass to get this done. Great. You know, for 48 senators, that fire's been lit. If, If Manchin and Sinema were normal Democrats, these bills would have been passed already. So it's just like the question isn't do Democrats kind of need a nudge to get this done? It's will this at all change the calculus for Mangia? will he let it go forth? And then there's the huge looming threat that it will inspire him to do exactly the opposite, that it'll give him some kind of, you know, this is a rejection of Democrats. I need to hastily tap dance away from the party and then throws up more blocks to the reconciliation bill, basically robbing Democrats of like, one of their only weapons they can use to fight a lot of, you know, a lot of headwinds, like the political precedent of what they're heading into in twenty twenty two, Biden's numbers, and these other kind of intractable features of society right now that are impossible or very hard to tackle or to figure out how to tackle.
0: Yeah, I mean, one, you know, another another issue with passing these things is. Again, I think it shows, it shows you can succeed at what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And again, that is an asset, even for people who are indifferent or even not crazy about what it is you're doing, right? The ability to move forward is a big thing. But an equally big thing is the Democrats need to st- stop talking about this. And when I say this, I don't mean stop talking about you know if whatever's whatever ends up being in there, which even I don't know, which is a kind of a bad sign since I do this for a living, right? Um, but the negotiation—they need to start talk, stop talking about mansions, stop talking about cinema, stop talking about this back and forth, and all, you know, all of this, um, all of this intra-party squabbling is toxic for the party but in addition to that they need to move on from it because it's true look i don't i don't blame joe biden for the fact that there was a delta variant i mean it's a virus right i mean it kind of these these this is this is fate at some level um but one thing i do notice is that yes they're they're getting cdc and fda approval for vaccines and and you know, he goes out and says every so often, like, oh, you should get vaccinated. But I'll tell you this. I haven't seen Joe Biden talking about ending the pandemic in months. Now, I'm sure if I, if, if, if I said this to uh, someone at the White House, they would. I'm sure that, you know, there's, well, there was this time he said this and he made this press appearance and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I get it. The president says all sorts of things. But again, I'm pretty suffused in politics. And that is not what I've been hearing. Uh, What I've been hearing is about the Build Back Better bill. And what I've been hearing about it is less what's in it than the endless fighting over it. So for Democrats to... to have a hope of having a better result in 2022 than they had uh, last night, a few things need to happen. One is the economy needs to get into a more stabilized place. And there are things that the president can do about that, but that is obviously not something that the president totally controls. We need to make uh, progress on COVID. That's kind of, you know... Sort of the same thing. It it is certainly not um, not something that is is entirely in the president's hands, but they need that to be their focus. And right now, it is not their focus. Their focus is getting this bill passed. And what you know, people Democrats roll out these polls like, well, you know, the Build Back Better thing. It's super popular, and this part's popular, and that part's popular, and yeah, those things are popular, but. For Unless you're a partisan Democrat, this is not what you're really focused on. What you're focused on is, is the present economy and COVID, and really COVID, because the present economy is both perceived as, and in reality, a, a, uh, an outgrowth of, of, of the COVID pandemic. And that's what people are focused on. And you need, you need to, they need to actually be focusing on that and, and be perceived to be focusing on that. And neither of those are happening right now. I'm not saying they're ignoring the pandemic, but this is their focus and it is dragging down their popularity. And so for them to have a, a better result. They need to pass some stuff that is going to give their own partisans a sense that they've gotten some victories and done some big stuff, i.e. pass these bills, and hopefully other bills, but at least these bills. They need to get some luck, right? They need things to start moving in a more positive direction, and they need to appear that they're on the case. And the one thing that you can do to speed all of those things along is pass this thing. There is nothing the president or his party can do to start moving things in a better direction until these two bills pass. You're going to be stuck right here. There's going to be no progress, no progress in a political sense, let alone a policy sense. They cannot turn the page until these things get passed. And like, you know, Joe Manchin saying, oh, let's take a few more months. Well, okay. Wait until February to see if you can start changing things. There's not a lot of time left.
1: It's just a massive problem that I just don't see. I don't see a solution for because Manchin has has proved unmovable by outside forces. Like I don't think he cares about what happened yesterday. He's kind of proven that he doesn't really care about the electoral fates of, you know, his colleagues who are up in 2022. He's shown us again and again he wakes up in the morning you know he puts a finger to the wind sees which way the kind of belt the um the gusts are blowing and decides you know this is how i position myself to be a centrist and to care about bipartisanship i'm going to be the number one biggest obstacle to everything that democrats want to do including the popular stuff um you know he gave a press conference on monday where that he previewed and said, everyone's got to side where they stand. We're going to come out and talk about it. And it was re- it was ridiculous. I mean, it was huffy. He was pissed off about something. He probably read something he didn't like. But it was the whole thing was just to remind people I could vote this down at any second. And I'm totally comfortable in doing that. That's what this whole presentation was. And it, I think you could kind of tell Based on the reactions to it, you know, the White House basically was like, "Yeah, we think he's going to vote for it anyway." You know, various senators were kind of like, "Nah, nothing new." I think he was just pissed off. <laughs> like, it was, you know, we're just we're basically having to view this like dressed up temper tantrum because the one senator that matters like was pissy about something, and then we come away not knowing anything new, and it, that's just how it is. And then the progress has made in these agonizing stretches like they actually had a fairly big win yesterday when Schumer announced that they'd come to an agreement on a proposal to let Medicare negotiate down costs of prescription drugs, which is I mean, it's a big deal. That's something a lot of Democratic presidents have tried to do and have been thwarted by the fact that the pharmaceutical lobby has incredibly deep pockets and, you know, a lot of influence. And in this case, that was something that it looked like cinema murdered weeks ago. Looked like he was dead. She says she didn't want to do it. What are you gonna do? And they did manage to kind of wrangle it back from the dead. And it's definitely scaled back and less ambitious than what they wanted to do. But it's there. It's gonna be in there. It's got all 50 votes. That's a big deal. That's a hard thing to do. And it just doesn't even matter because it gets subsumed into the next chapter of the psychodrama of what Manchin cares about and what he understands and doesn't and and what's he what he wants to do. And now you have you know, this blue dogs coalition in the house led by Josh Gottheimer putting out this like pouty statement when, where they're like, we want a full CBO score and we want 72 hours to read the dang bill as if they're going to read the bill. And it's just kind of like,
0: now, what what didn't they? What, but weren't you know? Gottheimer's whole thing has been the uh, salt deductions yeah. and, and moving that back to where it was uh, before the Trump tax cuts. And just mm-hmm. to remind everybody, this is you can deduct state income tax against your federal taxes, which frankly I think is good policy, and I I, I think it's good policy just on general principles. But it also supports high tax, high service state governments it, it's very it. so but that's been their big thing and i think he put out a didn't he put out a press release just like yesterday or something saying like, yahoo we got we mm-hmm. got this all thing done full speed ahead now that's in the reconciliation bill so i don't understand is he gonna like vote against the reconciliation bill i mean that's that's his whole thing
1: well that's the thing that makes no sense about it it's like waiting for a cbo score i mean Lawmakers are estimating that's going to take 10 days to two weeks for, you know, since since you have text. And right now we only even have House text. We don't have text that's gone through the Senate. And those things might be a bit different because the House.
0: Now, didn't I thought Brian Schatz said that you need the CBO score as part of the reconciliation process itself? Right. So, so there that, will so, be a score at some point.
1: Basically, they're just trying to because you have to see how it affects the budget as it's going through the reconciliation process. Right.
0: So, so basically to the extent that you're you're waiting for a CBO score, that is that has to happen on the Senate side, right?
1: Right. As the okay. process is moving, as they're doing all this other stuff, they have to do the privilege scrub and double check everything by the parliamentarian and stuff, but right. they they're basically asking for like a CBO score Separate from that, which would basically just add in like two more weeks.
0: How is it? How is it separate from that? How is I don't understand that part. Because they're asking for a
1: CBO score before the House votes on the reconciliation bill, which might happen as soon as this week. So that's before the Senate process gets going. And as Steny Hoyer responded to it, he's like, well, you know, most parts of it already have been scored by various kind of entities, but there are still you know, there are pieces that are still being negotiated. So
0: So that, okay, so that is separate, though, because what I was thinking about was Joe Manchin saying, you know, I lose track of when he said what, but at some point in the last few days, he added that he wants to see a CBO yeah. score Now, but that is the Senate mm-hmm. part of the equation, right? So that mm-hmm. part is he was not him demanding that did not really change the calendar for the Senate site. Now we're talking about these house types also saying they want a, a CBO score of the house thing. And before the house votes. Okay. So now I understand what you're so kind of to now I I thought there's a few of these coalitions in the democratic house caucus. There's the new Democrat coalition. Mm -hmm. There's the blue dog coalition. Um, I think the new, Democrat one is a little um, more in line with party. I mean, they're both kind of, you know, centrist groups, but I think that the the new Democrat coalition's a little more like close to the leadership and the rest mm-hmm. of the caucus. Is that basic? Because I thought I saw them putting out a, th- a a statement last couple of days saying, you know, yep, full speed ahead. We're, do- you know, all good. Let's, let's move. But this is the blue dogs. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the separate sort of bespoke, Gottheimer group, right? That which the, has
1: a, a bit of overlap with this group.
0: With the blue dogs. So yeah. it's 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 mostly the blue dogs, but a sort of like I said, sort of like a bespoke um, you know, like doing a he's doing a collab, which as is, my sons would say. Right, with, which uh, is with the
1: blue Which dogs. is funny because as you say, it's like if he's getting his will on the salt tax thing, and the most recent news I saw on that front is that progressives, we're basically going to allow it, but they're kind of fighting over an income cap to who this applies to because there's some concern. You know, Bernie Sanders keeps saying, I don't want to give a tax break to millionaires kind of thing. And there is a truth that the salt tax, uh, you know, helps wealthier people. Because um, they but, pay
0: more income tax. Right. right. But it
1: seems like it seems like they're going to get they're going to get the salt thing in there. The details are being ironed out. So it's like, as you say, that was Gottheimer's big sticking point. Gottheimer's other big sticking point is as he's been shouting from the rooftops, he's so desperate to get the bipartisan infrastructure bill passed, which as House progressives keep saying, okay, great, happy to pass it. We're not going to do it until reconciliation is passing too. Um, So you would think that the natural next step would be sweet let's expedite these things let's get them done you know to fill all of godheimer's wildest dreams but he, i think he is just looking at what mansion's doing and mansion's like "Well, let's slow it down so he's like yep centrist position let's slow it down even though it runs directly counter to his own kind of priorities in the legislation
0: the funny thing is and and history is pretty consistent on this what really always happens is that it is the you know it's the centrist types who get slaughtered in a in a, mm-hmm. in a wave election which is the sort of the backdrop to this whole conversation if the democrats have a bad election lose lo- you know lose control of both of both houses of congress you know it's not the it, it it's it's not the you know Brian Schatzes and uh, Maxine Waters's and, you know, AOCs who are going to lose their seats. It's the Josh Gottheimer types. And it is now, and, you know, one of the things, I think it was, I can't remember who said this recently, but there's this, um, there's this idea in Washington that these, uh you know, centrist people in kind of you know, you, you know, kind of uh, swing districts. That these people have their have a the the pulse of mm-hmm. swing voters. And in practice, now someone like Joe Manchin is kind of in a in a unique case, right? He's not in a slings. I mean, he's in a very conservative state. He kind of knows he's he has known how to make it work to date. Um, but most of these people they don't really have any particular insight into anything. They come in on the waves and they get swept out on the waves and they really have no, (laughs) no, no special insight at all. But again, it's always those people who end up getting, um, uh, getting, uh, slaughtered when, when, when you have a bad election cycle. And, um, you know, I, I get why with like Gottheimer, I get why he wants to get that, um, that transportation bill passed i mean i want to get it passed right um but it's always been a little weird with him because he's not going to have a separate fate from the democratic party and none of his none of his group is going to have a separate fate they're all going to have a common fate and so this you know this stringing it out stuff they are going to pay the biggest price for it, but everybody is going to pay a price because because the Democrats aren't going to have their majorities anymore.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's turn to some questions. Um, the first is from Scott, who asks if we can go over the Senate schedule. Um, you know when they're taking off for Thanksgiving. When does the debt ceiling come up again? What are we looking at if we have to wait yet another two weeks? So this is related to Schumer saying that he wants to start debate on the reconciliation text on November fifteenth. Um, today we're recording on November 3rd. Next week, the Senate is out all week for recess. So they'll be back that one week, and then they're out again the next week for Thanksgiving.
0: So what does that mean? Okay. So what does that mean in terms of if they do, like, let's say that Joe Manchin lets them start on November Mm -hmm. 15th. Do they have time to pass it before the next recess, which I guess is the Thanksgiving recess?
1: I honestly have no idea. I mean, they've there's going to be the privilege stuff, the voterama stuff, the parliamentarian stuff. I mean, I assume that there is some degree of like walking and chewing gum at the same time here. Um, but yeah, it's not clear to me. But I mean, we are entering like the holiday season and there is one of the strongest forces in Washington is people wanting to leave. So I mean, that's what I was talking to, it came the other day and he was saying, I feel pretty confident we'll get these both done before Thanksgiving because nobody's going to want to stick around that next week and get it done. And that can do kind of incredible work in getting people to drop opposition or any kind of like slowing down of the process that they can do. Right,
0: right, um, right, right, So,
1: but that, that also entails, you know, the House is planning to pass these two things this week the infrastructure and the reconciliation text that they have, even though that text will go over to the Senate, you know, be tweaked and then come over back to the House. But the problem there is, you know, the House progressives who have been loath to give up their leverage on the bipartisan bill to vote for it, because then they this fate of the reconciliation bill becomes much more uncertain. And they've kind of softened their stance recently. Jaya Paul said, if if Biden tells them that he's got the 50 Senate votes on reconciliation, that'll be good enough. They'll let it go. If they have text and that promise, that'll be enough. Which aside, I mean, we've been talking a lot about Biden's problems, which are legion. But I don't think anyone really expected going into this term that the Congressional Progressive Caucus and Joe Biden would be as cozy as they are as mutually respected as they are i mean there is like quite a bond between him and this group which i don't know that's something that surprised me i don't think that's something everyone would have bet on as biden it's came in
0: it, it, it's certainly surprising from the from the vantage point of the spring of 2020
1: yeah <laughs>
0: yeah right when he kind of when he kind of zipped ahead of 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 uh, bernie sanders at that is that at that point but okay so the basic point is that it sounds like if they can if the Senate Democrats can agree to actually start debating this on November 15th there is a narrow window to have the big work done uh, by Thanksgiving and then I guess maybe what there's like one final reconcile you know post reconciliation no
1: no post recess
0: no, what is it? God? I'm losing track of. Uh, um, what is the? <laughs> it's been so long since there's like regular order in Congress. <laughs> there, I'm I'm spacing on the word. There's the process when you have the Senate passes their conference conference committee. Um, when you have two similar but but not identical bills passed through the House and Senate, you have a conference where they get together and kind of do a final thing, get a unified bill, and then both pass it again. So possible that you that you. Get the big thing done in uh, mid late November, and then kind of put it, you know, put a bow on it. I guess at the beginning of December,
1: right. And as Scott mentioned, there, December third is like the next looming date when the debt ceiling comes up again. We have to deal with government shutdown stuff. We have the additional pressure now of the budgetary stuff is coming up. The appropriations bills, um, and there's already been a meeting with you know what they kind of call the four corners that. The Democrats and Republicans on the Senate and House committees meeting uh, on the appropriations committees, they came out of that meeting with like nothing decided except a a pretty strong conviction that there's going to be a bunch of CRs continuing resolutions, which will just set up kind of mini cliffs throughout the year as as Congress is want to do. So all that stuff is going to come to a head in December before Congress jets off for the holidays. So, you know, I think that's also another another pressure, kind of being like, God, let's get let's get these two bills done first. Right. And then deal with the next stuff. Got Um, it. Okay. Next question. Question from Steve who says something I don't understand is why Biden doesn't go after cinema and attempt to divide and conquer. Manchin has the credible threat of switching parties and is more popular in his state than Biden is. So he's got leverage. That's not the case with cinema wise and biden uh, br- uh barnstorming arizona to bring more pressure to her. And this is something I'm kind of eager to talk about just because the cinema problem has become so much smaller than it was in previous episodes.
0: It 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 is I was going to ask you about this. It is kind of weird that she seems to have dropped out of the obstacle game. Mhm. Um, and I don't know. I don't know if it's exactly is that she's, you know, in earlier iterations of this, she seemed to kind of wait until Manchin was <laughs> sort of running out of steam before she jumped in. Um, I, you know, I, I think my, my main answer to that question is it doesn't do you much good if you're a president at like 42 percent public approval to be showing up in someone's state. She's not popular, but he's not popular either. Now, among Democrats, she's much more unpopular than he is. But, you know, you don't it's it's not a very productive fight. If you like, you know, like, oh, you're more unpopular than I am. You know, that that doesn't work. So, um, you know. Part of the answer right now is what what's the point? he's going to show up and overawe her with his popularity? No, not really. Cause he's not popular. And if, um, I haven't seen any, any, uh, you know, polls of Biden out of Arizona, but I mean, obviously that is only barely a purple state. So if president Biden is, you know, at, at, 42 or 43% nationally He's probably a couple points lower in Arizona. So that's one answer. The other, the other is, um, you know, presidents, modern presidents don't necessarily have all the juice that, that people think they do. And that has not been Joe Biden's, the way he rolls, right? It's much more, we're going to get together and talk. And that's basically it that 's the answer
1: yeah on the on the cinema becoming less of a problem thing i it 's just kind of fascinating to me it 's like she created this enormous problem by saying we can 't raise taxes on corporations or the wealthy I mean enormous problem like that was going to be the primary revenue stream to pay for the package, and she took the whole thing off the table, and not only was it important it was kind of like a no-brainer. I mean, if there's a litmus test in the Democratic Party right now, raising taxes on the wealthy and corporations is kind of it. Um, So she did that. She made the Medicare drug negotiations. I mean, she initially took that off the table, which again is a thing that has ton of consistent bipartisan popularity. The only reason it keeps not getting done is because the pharmaceutical lobby is so powerful. So she kind of takes her stances against these two super powerful things. Um, And then she, I guess, lets herself be negotiated on the Medicare pricing thing. That's going to be in the bill now, a smaller version, but she allowed herself to be moved, which is kind of more than Manchin has done on basically any of the things that he's raised, with the exception of adding work requirements to the child tax credit. And then she agreed to the minimum corporate tax, uh, which was also kind of interesting to me because it's just like not a, a ton of ideological consistency between those positions. And yeah, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, with all the stuff that's left, she isn't, at least in public, she isn't the big problem. Um, I mean, we actually, that's the other weird thing about this. There just aren't that many loose programmatic ends left that they're still fighting over. I mean, you have the house kind of taking a a stance on paid leave, but it's kind of more messaging than anything else at this point. Manchin has proven himself to be kind of unmovable on it. The Medicare pricing thing was like the big loose end negotiation thing that they were figuring out. Now we kind of have, we have salt kind of, and there's, there's still fighting over immigration with the parliamentarian. But I mean, they're on plan C by this point. So that seems to kind of be a a fading effort. So I, it's just interesting. I mean, cinema went from being like a much larger and less explainable problem than Manchin to now we're back with just Manchin kind of slow As walking the whole, the whole thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I, I guess, you know, it seems to me that we can't rule out the possibility that basically she's just... You know it's sort of it's sort of like uh when you have like you know uh you know multi person wrestling, you know one taps out the <laughs> other you know the other guy's yeah. kind of gotten his yeah. energy back and goes in um but I wonder if it is and and I wonder if it has gotten through to her at some level that she's in a lot of trouble in two thousand twenty four mm. um partly because. She is just, just roundly hated by Democrats, A. That's a big problem if you're a Democrat. And the overall political climate is not looking great. So I wonder if some of her drawing back has is that she has, you know, sort of is rethinking her own political, you know, position at some level. I mean, that is, uh, you know, I have no idea whether that's really the case, that that's that's... Very, very speculative, and it could, you know, entirely be that she's just, uh, as I said, kind of given the stage to Mansion for a bit. But it has been a mystery to me for a while. I mean, it's been clear that she's in a lot of trouble for re-election, and she just doesn't seem to have recognized that. Or to some people, it seems like she doesn't seem to care. I don't think that's it. I think she cares a lot. I don't think she. I don't think she has any intention of being a one, one-term senator. Uh, but who knows? Maybe maybe that has kicked in a bit.
1: Yeah. Okay. Our last question is basically the same version of that question, but for Manchin. This is from Dan, uh, who's asking, where can leverage be applied? He references, why isn't the administration using its executive powers to investigate his companies or that of his daughter, who has made millions overcharging everyone for EpiPen's? Find out what Mansion loves and kill it, or threaten to until he gets on board. And I feel like Mansion is so temperamental in this very like toddlerish way. I mean, even when people, when he gets like criticism online, he holds a whole freaking press conference to basically flex his muscles and be like, "Hey, I'm king around here. You know, watch what you say." If the administration pulled out the big guns like this against him or his family, I. I think he would waste no time in being like, guess what? I'm a Republican now. Or guess what? I'm going to vote all this stuff down. Like he puts kind of his own whims and moods above any kind of cogent strategy or ideology.
0: Yeah, I I think that's right. I mean, first of all, look, uh, we don't. We do not want presidents using the investigatory powers of the presidency to bully legislators into giving their votes that's that's what we're fighting not what we're doing now i'm all for political hardball but that that is not in my mind that is not legitimate political hardball um and for what it's worth i think that mansion would uh go to war over it i do not uh, you know i I do not see that being successful. In addition to I do not see that being right. And that's, and again, I am all for, you know, playing real political hardball. The way you play real political hardball is you say, hey, you know what? Yeah, it'll hurt us too, but no port none of the party committees are going to support you in 2024. Or, you know, there's lots of things you can do. The problem is, is that I don't think You know, Manchin basically gets elected on his own in that state. Now, having said all that, um, you know, he, I believe Manchin was elected in 2012 and 2018. Um, It's not like he's been elected senator 100 times, right? Um, But the abiding thing here, the reality that has shaped this entire year, which is not being great, is that the Democrats do not have a lot of leverage on this guy? And um, I have thought about various ways they could have approached this different differently, but the idea that there were sort of big guns that they weren't bringing out that they had, I think is basically wrong. They've got someone here who is really part of that, you know, kind of beltway lobbyist scene um someone who is uh temperamental and kind of full of himself and they absolutely need his vote and that's a tough that's a tough combination there's no there's no there's no obvious answer there that 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 democrats are not availing
1: themselves of yeah like i keep Hearing jokes about, you know, why don't they just create like the Joe Manchin National Airport that is, you know, uses hoverboards and whatever. But it's, I mean, look at his attitude towards the reconciliation package. Like he's killed proposals that would help his constituents more than they would help the constituents of other people who are pushing for them because he happens to represent a relatively very poor state. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a dent. You know, he has this uh, kind of vague, amorphous, like everything else he believes idea of an entitlement society and is absolutely dead set against anything that falls into that category for him. Even when the kind of objective evidence is your state would heavily benefit from this proposal. It doesn't make a dent. So, I mean, the sticks would piss him off. The carrots don't move him. What do you do? What do you do with a guy like that? You just have to kind of apply whatever pressure you think you can and get down on your knees and pray that he comes around ultimately. And that's where we are. And that's kind of where we've been for months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's hard for me not to think that there were much better ways to um, go about this. And uh, it's hard for me not to think that the president... And his advisors in the White House gave way a little too quickly in the meetings they had in the in the immediate aftermath of the passage of the rescue package, because, you know, uh, Senator Brian Schatz was was with us in a briefing a few months back, and and as he characterized it, a number of not just not just Mansion and Cinema, mainly them, but probably probably Tester and more, you know, probably a few other people, not saying the stuff we're at now, but saying, like, hey. The COVID relief thing, that was an emergency. A, you know, a, it was an emergency, and B, absolutely critical to give the president a win right off the bat, but we're not doing that on the infrastructure thing. We, wanna, we want to w- try to build bipartisan consensus, just letting you know now, we're not doing that kind of rapid thing again. Now, uh, I kind of think they, they, being the White House, accepted that too easily that they needed to kind of say, you know what, time is our enemy. We need to move really fast. You give us your bottom line, you tell us, and we're going to move ahead. Now, having said that, though, this is the same Joe Manchin that, that seems immovable now, like eight months later. So I want to say that, I want to think that, but that doesn't mean it was doable, so um, we really do come back to um, some situations do not, have, do not have easy or good solutions. They may not have any solutions, and that is and that sucks, but that may be the reality. So uh, on that happy note, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall Podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You can get 25% off at Grady'scoldbrew.com with promo code TPM.